Thank you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Moving swiftly on. Okay, um, I think Alicia's just going to come up and just give a quick notice. Um, yeah. Woo! I think there's also one more notice, just to um, sort of flag up next week, um, Terry Virgo's coming to speak, um, which I'd really want to encourage you to come along to that. Um, has anyone not heard of Terry? How could Phil forget that? <laughs> has anyone not heard of Terry? Okay, so he's a really, really good Bible teacher. Um, he sort of founded the movement, um, the part of the church that we're about New Frontiers. So I do encourage you to um, come and um, bring, bring a friend. He's got quite a bit of a healing ministry as well. Um, so yeah, just want to encourage you to come to that. Um, okay, so we are um, in our back in our Genesis series. We had sort of a mini break last sort of three weeks. Owen's been looking at um, the role of male and female in the church and home and those types of things. And this morning we're looking at um, Cain and Abel. And Donovan is going to come up and read the passage for me because he reads better than me. <laughs> okay, so it's Genesis four. Cain said to the Lord, 
My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahudael, and Mahudael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Adar, and the name of the other, Zillah. Adar bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in the tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Jubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Jubal-Cain was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And, Ada, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed <coughs> for me another offspring instead of Abel. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enoch. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. <coughs> okay, so I mean that's quite a familiar passage, I'm guessing, to some. Um, but just to sort of just give you, just to put it in context and just give a, I guess, an overview of the story. What's happened in Genesis 3, um, which Owen has spoken on, is that sin has come into the, uh, has come into the world. Um, the whole human race has fallen, is now fractured. Um, and Adam and Eve have been banished uh, from the garden, from the presence of God. Then we see in chapter 4 that um, uh, Cain and Abel were born. So they're the first um, of children of Adam and Eve. And then they both bring their offerings toward God, yet God accepts one of them, but doesn't accept the other. Then we see that Cain becomes angry and kills his brother, then again is, uh, God banishes him and removes him from his presence. Then as we go on throughout that story, we see actually it doesn't get much better. We see uh, Lamech, or Lamech, Cain's descendant, then kills a man because he hit him, um, which is a bit extreme. Um, and then the story ends with the reappearance of Eve and the birth of Seth, and then finally the first public um, sign of people calling on the name of the Lord. So it's, I guess, when you step back, it's quite a bleak story. It's quite a depressing uh, story. It really shows uh, mankind sort of, I guess, plunging further into sin and sin really increasing in the human race. First with the murder um, of Cain's brother and then Lamech killing um, someone for hitting him. So sin's increasing. And it, 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 I guess it shows us, it gives us a picture um, of the human heart and what man is capable of. So if you have children, it's probably not the best story to read, read them before you tuck them into bed. It's quite a depressing story. However, having said that, I, do, I think it's important. I think um, it's a really important story. And I hope just this morning just to draw just a few things from it um, that will help us just understand uh, sin a bit more and also a bit more of the character 
of God. So let's just pray and then we will get to this. Father, we thank you so much just for uh, presence yourself amongst us this morning. We don't ever want to take that for granted, uh, Father, but we thank you that uh, when we read your word, there is promise upon promise upon promise that you will be with us, that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us, that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you this morning. Uh, we recognize that we are men uh, and you are God and there is a massive difference. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you just come and be our teacher. Help me not add or take away from your word and I pray that you would uh, glorify Christ this morning. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. Okay, I asked, um, um, I don't know if you... Some of you will know, some of you won't. Um, I'm a, um, I guess you can call me a teacher slash tutor. So I work um, um, for a charity called City Gateway, which basically um, works with young people between 16 and 19-year-olds. And I teach them um, sports, so looking at the human body and some practical side of things. And um, just this week, obviously, I knew I was speaking on this. So I asked some of my, um, my students, um, what do you think about the word sin? Um, what do you think it means? Do you think it's important? Um, and here's what some of them said. One person said, something that goes against your religion. If you're religious, it matters. But if you're not, it doesn't. Another one said, the laws of your religion makes you a better person if you don't sin. I try not to. It's important if you're religious, but if you're not, it doesn't matter. It's what you do after that's important. So I thought that was quite interesting. And finally, it doesn't matter even if you follow religion. It doesn't matter if you sin. And the word sin today, it's probably not a common word. Um, again, if you just ask people about sin, it's, people don't probably think of themselves um, as a sinner. They probably don't think of sin as such a big deal. And let's be honest, why would they? Why would people think that they are sinners? If they've not got no church background, why would they think sin is an issue? And I looked up on, on Google and you know, typed in the word sin, the definition and it says, a deliberate disobedience to the known will of God. A deliberate disobedience to the known will of God. And again, people probably don't think of sin as a big deal, but the Bible seems to say otherwise. The Bible actually seems to say that sin is the biggest problem with the human race. That sin is the biggest problem with the human race. And I think, again, if you go and ask people just on the street um, around the whole issue of heaven and hell and, and think, you know, do you think that you're going to heaven? Do you think you're going to hell? A common answer is, well, I think I'm a good person. I think I'm a good person, so no, I think I'll probably go to heaven. And that is quite a familiar response from most people. But again, the Bible seems to say otherwise. Um, the Bible actually says that no one is good. And to take it a little bit further, the Bible is a little bit more explicit uh, on that. The Bible actually says that we are born sinners, the Bible says that we are deceitful. The Bible says that we are evil. The Bible says that we're actually wicked, that we're full of pride, and there is no good in us. And Psalm 51, verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. From birth, we are sinners. And I know this is quite a, quite a somber intro to my talk. Um, but and I, I think I've used this example before when I've spoke. You know, I've got a daughter, Caitlin, so she's coming up to 19 months now. And she's at the age where she understands, yeah? She clearly understands when either Charles or myself say something to her, 
for example, Caitlin, stop screaming. What does she do? Ah! Caitlin, stop screaming. Ah! Caitlin, ah! And it's constant. So she's at the age where she deliberately disobeys. You may think I'm making this up, but if you've got kids, you know that there is something inerrant in kids in us that just just rebels against any type of authority. And obviously there's some worse than others. <laughs> but the Bible seems to paint a, a, a clear picture of the sinfulness and the wickedness of man. It's very clear when you read throughout of Scripture. And as we know, the center of man um, is his heart, and in your heart lay our affections. That's where um, our choices are made. That's where our affections and our love goes from. And Je- Jeremiah says this about the heart. It's deceitful above all things and beyond cure. So we can just see just from these last few minutes that actually the human race is actually in a bit of a mess and in desperately need of saving and of a saviour. And you may think, Dan, why are you depressing me with all that this morning? But I just wanted to just, I guess, allow a bit of a foundation of where we're going this morning, just so we can, I guess, understand a little bit about sin. So in this story, we're going to look at sin, how it works and how we're to respond to it, but also how God in his grace responds uh, to our sin. And I'm not saying that at the end of this morning that you're going to walk out of it and stop sinning anymore because I don't think it works like that. We live in a fallen world and we are all fallen. But I do trust that, um, I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to do something to, I guess, equip us um, just to be a little bit more aware of our sin and, and how it works and really help us in the battle to, to pursue him, to be ruthless with sin, um, and to pursue holiness. And as always, as I've been sort of prepping it this week, this sermon is to myself. I am definitely preaching this sermon uh, to myself. I have not mastered sin. It's something that is a constant daily battle. Um, and I know I'm very much aware I'm in need of his grace and his forgiveness. But with that in mind, let's take a look um, at the story. And I do apologize, I don't have a PowerPoint um, just didn't have time. Okay, so um, we can see that there's two brothers. There's two um, brothers, and they are different. Um, one's older, obviously, and one is younger. One's a keeper of sheep, and one works uh, the land. And, but we don't want to read too much into the text, but at the same time, you know, if there's two brothers, it's likely that they've probably got different personalities. It's likely that they've probably got different interests, and it's likely that there's probably some type of healthy competition. But at the same time, again, we don't want to read something that isn't there. And, you know, put your hand up if, you are, if you're a brother or sister or you've got a brother or sister. Same thing, I guess. Okay, so a lot of us. So you, you can imagine that if you think of your brother and your sister, you know, okay, you're probably very different, maybe unless you're twins. But even then, there's probably some quite distinct differences between you. And not only were they different in their roles, but they were also different in their posture towards God. We see that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground, which... God had no regard. God did not accept that. Whereas Abel bought an offering of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions, and God accepted that. And, you know, when we look at that at face value, you think, that's a little bit unfair. Yeah? I mean, who's ever thought that? When you've read that, that story, you think, hold on, why is God accepting a dead animal and not an apple or something? Yeah? Something's not quite right there. Is there anything different between a dead animal and some, some fruit of the ground? Is there anything different between that? Surely they're both a sacrifice. Surely it both cost them to bring it. But I'm just reminded as Don was praying, Don said that God looks 
not at the outward appearance, but he looks at the heart, and that's exactly what's going on here. That's exactly what God is doing. He's looking at the heart. And in the Old Testament, an offering from the firstborn of the flock uh, demonstrate, I guess, more of a costly sacrifice, more of a, a greater devotion to God when you brought that uh, than anything else did. So we can say that Abel's um, offering actually cost him more than it did Cain, and that's why God didn't accept Cain's. Yet at the same time, the Bible doesn't say anything that the offerings work automatically. It's always about the state of your heart. It's always about your heart. And a few verses later, we can see Cain's fundamentally bad heart in the way he resents his brother and the way he responds to God. Quite uncooperative, you would say. And after the offerings have been brought to God, Cain, God, sort of God comes to Cain and speaks to him. God comes to Cain and speaks to him. Verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. <clears throat> so God comes to Cain. He gives him a chance to, to respond, to do something differently, to go another way. Uh, and Cain has a, has a choice in how he responds. He has a choice, his own free will, in how he responds to what God has just brought him. God says to him, if you do well, will you not be accepted? So God's shown him a way to turn away from sin, to flee sin, and to respond differently. But at the same time, God also says, if you don't, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. So God's warning him at the same time. And this idea of I guess crouching the door is an idea of, of like a wild animal, as it were, like just crouching, ready to pounce, ready to devour, ready to uh, rip apart, ready to completely uh, devour Cain. And that's when we read the Bible, quite a familiar passage. Um, that's how the devil is likened to. In 1 Peter 5, um, which many of us will know, it says that your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And that's what the devil's like, and that's what sin is like at the same time. There's this, there's this constant knock on the door. It's constant knock, 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 knock on the door. And, you know, you, if you've been a Christian for longer than five minutes, you'll know that. You'll know that there is constantly a temptation at the door. But at the same time, sometimes the knock is louder, and it's so intense, that temptation to sin. It's just a knock, knock. It's a banging on the door. But other times, other seasons, it's just a, just a gentle tap. Just a gentle tap on the door. But you know it's there. And other times, there's a different knock on the door. Yeah? It might be something different that is trying to tempt you that you've not even thought of before. Yet at the same time, sin is constantly at the door, knocking and enticing and trying to tempt you from it. And... Like God said to Cain, I believe he also says to us this morning that you must rule over it. You must rule over it. Not that it's a good idea if you, if you rule over sin or I'm advising you to rule over sin. No, no, we, you must, we must rule over sin. Because we know that actually sin does devour people. Sin ruins families, churches, individuals' lives, marriages. It completely messes people up and it does devour you. And this is um, this book that I read a, a few years ago 
Uh, it's by an old Puritan. It's called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. It's by a guy called Thomas Brooks. And it's quite, a, quite an intense book. Um, but in it, he, he speaks about how... Um, so he likens sort of Satan uh, to someone who goes around with a fishing rod. Who goes around with a fishing rod. At the end of the rod, there's a, there's a hook, as we know. And at the end of the hook, there's bait. And I've got a little demo for you. This is, how he, this is what he speaks about. He says, Satan constantly holds a fishing rod and at the end of the hook, or the paper clip, <laughs> there's this bait. Now, there's nothing really that enticed on it, so let's put something on it. <laughs> Harry Bows. So this is what Satan's like. He walks around all day tempting, tempting you with a bait. Constantly just saying, come on, take it. Jenny, take it. Come on, take it. If you take this bait, it'll make you feel much better. Come on, take it. Come on, take it. Come on, John. Come here, mate. Take it. Take it. And it's constantly being dangled. And if you know anything about fishing, you know that when, you, when the fish takes the bait, he's hooked. Now, I don't have a reel on this, but then the fisherman just reels the fish in. Now, let's be honest. That's not that enticing, is it? <laughs> so what does Satan do when you don't take it? So if you don't take that bait, none of you did. None of you took the bait. What does he do? Does he leave you alone? No. It's a little bit more appealing now, isn't it? Go on, Kim, take it. Go on. You lose money when you come to church. You give it away. Go on, take it. Come on. Come on. Go on. And we're like, okay. And we take it. And he just reels us in. He just reels us in. I can find one of them this morning. But I think if we're being honest, I don't actually think that's a fair reflection of what it's like in this day and age. In the culture we live in, in the times we live in, sin bombards us. It's not just one thing, it's more like this. <laughs> Everywhere you look. Now we're laughing at this, but this is the reality, guys and girls. Everywhere you look, there's this temptation. It may be food, it may be women, it may be men, it may be jewellery, it may be a dodgy car, it may be some money, it may be anything, but there's this constant temptation. And everywhere you look, everywhere, you wake up in the morning, you go to work, temptation. You look at your phone, there's temptation. Internet, temptation. Everywhere you go, there's this constant bombardment and Satan is constantly trying to pull you away from God, away from the church, away from your families, is always trying to bring some division. So how, how, do we, how do we master sin? How do we rule over sin? How do we do it? I don't know if you've ever been in, I'm sure you've all been in a car before, but if you've ever been in a car and you are um, 
you've got to get to this destination, and it's so important you get there. You're, you're just rushing, you're, you're driving, and you're just so focused on where you're going. You're maybe speeding, you're, maybe just, you're just so focused on where you're going because you need to get to that destination. You need to get there, and you need to get there quick. So you're driving, you're focused, you're focused. And then the next day, a friend of yours, you know, see at church or work, he says, Dan, what happened yesterday? I was, he was driving and I was literally stopped at the light and I was just waving and waving and shouting at you, saying, Dan, Dan, and just trying to get your attention. And you just completely ignored me. What was that about? And you're like, you know, I'm so sorry. I was so focused in where I was going. I didn't even see you. I was so focused, I completely miss you. And you see, that's what we need to do with sin, is that this time we've got a car, our eyes need to be so focused on Jesus, so focused on his glory, his splendor, his majesty, that when sin comes knocking at the door, everything else just doesn't have that pull anymore. It doesn't seem that enticing because he is so good. And as we sung that, this whole idea about him being our vision, he needs to be our vision, you know, Christ needs to, we need to have a bigger vision of him than we do of sin. And that is how that we must, that's how we rule over sin. Our eyes are so focused on him that everything else doesn't, doesn't seem that enticing anymore. And I think, if I'm honest, I think the, the reason... Often the reason why we so easily fall into sin or fail is because in that moment of temptation, we genuinely think, whether it be sex, money, power, whatever it is, we genuinely think that those things are better than him. We do, guys. That's what we genuinely think that that is going to satisfy the longing soul. That's going to think that's going to complete us, as it were. That's the thing that's going to make us happy in that moment. And then we do whatever we do, hours, days, weeks, months, we go, oh, Jesus is better. We realise that, yeah, he is better. But sometimes it's too late. Colossians 3 verse 1 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Guys, set your minds on things that are above because Jesus is better. Set your mind on the wonder of the gospel, the glory of Christ, because Jesus is better. Focus on him. Pursue him. Be ruthless with sin. Kill sin at its root. Don't even play with it. Resist it. And you see, obviously, once in a while, something does come along and something does tempt us and does draw our eyes to something. But we need to remember that actually temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted, yet without sin. And we all know those moments and we know there is a choice. There's always a choice. We can turn towards it or we can turn away from it and flee. Not anywhere we flee to him. 1 Colossians, so 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. 
but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God will always give you a way out of sin, always. And guys, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying this is easy by any stretch of the imagination, but with the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, who dwells within you, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, I don't believe there's no sin or temptation that is big enough that you cannot resist without the power of the Spirit. Keep your eyes on Jesus because he is better. But you see, Cain didn't do that. He let the anger, the bitterness, the resentment rule him. And the consequence was the murder of his brother. So how do, how do we respond to sin? How do we respond to sin? What is our response? And also more important, what is God's response? In verse 9, we see that God, again, comes to Cain and asks him, where's your brother and what have you done? Where is your brother and what have you done, Cain? And he's quite, you know, he's unrepentant. He doesn't seem that bothered. He's you not asking for forgiveness. There's signs of pride. You know, again, he's not cooperating with God at all. So God disciplines him and sends him away from his presence. And as I was reading it, it just, I guess I was really struck the fact that though Cain had sinned, God came to him. Cain sinned, yet God in his mercy came to him. He didn't wait for Cain to approach him or to be repentant. God came to him. God took the initiative could have left him, but God came to him. And a few weeks ago when Owen spoke on when Adam and Eve sinned, we see God comes to Adam. Adam sinned, God comes to him. He doesn't wait for Adam to come to him. God comes to Adam. And he does the same to us. God comes to us. He gives us a chance to repent, to turn, to own our sin. Whilst Cain was unrepentant, he, was, he wasn't bothered, he didn't go to God, yet God still came to him. And I think we, we often wait to approach God when, when we've sinned. We often, we just don't go there. That's not where we go when we've sinned. I mean, sometimes we do, but generally I don't think we don't often go there straight away for a number of reasons. Maybe because we, maybe we, we feel ashamed, we feel guilty. Maybe because we, we think that we need to get back the holiness we had before we sinned. Or we need to, to pursue that and do some good works to get back to that position where he'll accept me again. But the problem with that is that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. That's not how it works. Because if that's the case, I'm only ever going to go to God when I haven't sinned or when I'm doing okay. And the problem with that is you'd never go to him. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Not when, when you sorted yourself out or when you've done something good, but while you were still sinners. And that's the heart of the gospel. And I, I think of the amount of times that I have rejected an opportunity to go to him to receive his grace, but I've been too stubborn or too ashamed of my sin that I have forfeited the grace that is mine. Loads of times. But like the father in the prodigal son, he is always looking out for his prodigal son and daughter to return. 
You're always looking out for you to return to him. Whether it's been years, whether it's been months, whether it's been days, whether it's been even a few hours, he is always constantly taking the initiative. He's always looking out for you. And when you come back, what does he do? He puts a rope, rope around your back, ring on your finger, shoe on your feet. He says, come back to me. And I think that I think we can often think that Christian maturity is often about how much biblical knowledge we have, how much, how many books we've read, nothing wrong with those things, and how long we've been a Christian. I think that's often what can we think being a mature Christian is like, but I don't think that's, I don't think that's the case. I think that actually it's about having that knowledge, applying it to your life in such a way that seeks to honour him and to be more Christ-like. And I think part of Christian maturity is how quickly we come back to him. How quickly you come back. When you know you've wronged, when you know you've sinned, a mark of your maturity is how quickly you come back to the Father and repent, come on your knees, ask for forgiveness. Because when you do that, what you're saying is, I get the gospel. I understand how the gospel works. I am forgiven. My sin has been paid in full by Christ on that cross and I can come back straight away and I know he will accept me regardless of what I've done. So I just even just since this morning, if, if there is something that you know you've done, we are going to respond at the end. God will say to you to come back. You see, though Cain is not repentant, God still had mercy on him. Verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. So there's consequences to Cain's actions. Let's not get wrong, there's consequences to his sin. But God shows him mercy. God shows him mercy. God done the same to Adam and Eve in the garden. They sinned. God came to them, said, Adam, where are you? And straight away clothed them and covered their shame and their nakedness with leaves. And again, he does the same to us this morning. He comes to us, even though you don't deserve even though I don't deserve it. He comes to us, he shows us mercy and forgiveness and grace. And it's, it's there in abundance because Christ has completely paid the full price. So it's not like there's a little bit of mercy, there's loads of it for you this morning. See, being a Christian doesn't mean that you never sin, but what it does mean, it means that you hate sin that you turn from sin, that you repent, and you go to the one who has atoned for your sin on the cross in full. That's what being a Christian is. It's not that you never sin, but you know your sin, you turn from it, you repent, and you go to the one who's paid for your sin in full. See, the end of the story, as we to conclude, we can see, again, that mankind has just fallen further into sin. Cain's descendant... Uh, Lamech has killed a man and then they started boasting about it. And it, it is, 
is quite a somber and quite a depressing and bleak story. But like any good story, there is always hope and a happy ending. Verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. And there's, there's lots that we could say that passage, on this passage, but we're not. Um, one thing I just, I just want to just bring to your attention, that this story has shown the, the sinfulness of man and what man can do is sin and how far man uh, can go. But it shows how, how clear that man needs saving from his sin, that man needs a saviour because he cannot save himself. The story starts, starts with despair, with Cain killing Abel, and then Lamech come and killing another man. So we, we end up with Abel being dead, Cain and his descendants have fallen further into sin, yet God in his wisdom and mercy allows Eve to give birth to Seth, who in time will continue the line to the only one who can save us from sin. God has appointed another offspring who in time will, will crush Satan, death, and sin for good. So for us, while sin is, is present in, in the world we live in, is, is present in our lives to some degree, you don't have to be ruled by sin today. You don't have to be ruled by sin. And you must, you must, you must rule over sin. Your vision of him must be greater than sin. And this morning, if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, you know that ultimately there is a day coming and there's hope when sin will be no more. So I'd like us to respond to this. Um, I wonder if the band could come up. We are going to, um, we're going to take communion. But if, if we could all just, just stand... we can just just focus on him the author and perfecter of your faith and just as, as I was speaking I just got a strong sense that the spirit was saying that there are some people in here this morning that need to repent there are some people in here this morning that need to do business with God there's some people in here that need to do what Cain didn't do Cain didn't come to him and he didn't repent. And the consequences was, leave my presence. Yet God's not saying that to you this morning. The God is saying to you this morning, come to me. If you, if you distance yourself from me, regardless what it is, how long it's been, come to me this morning. See, the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so can I just encourage you just to focus on him and I'm going to ask you I'm not going to ask you to come forward but I'm going to ask you to to kneel if you know that you need to confess something before him I'm going to ask you to kneel where you are not that there's anything magical in that but the, when you do that what you're doing you're humbling yourself before the king 
You are bowing down before someone who is greater than you. Someone who has the power to forgive sins. Only God forgives sins. So if you know you need to, to repent this morning, come before him, kneel before him, because there is grace and mercy and forgiveness for you this morning. In abundance, regardless of what you do. All you do, you confess your sins from and he will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And as we sing, the rest of us, just going to just encourage you, we are going to take communion. And as we take that, we remember the, the blood that was shed on the cross, his body that was broken for you, for me. I'm just going to ask you to come forward by yourself. Just, just, just come to God. Come to God this morning. Your rain flow.
come take the bread, take the wine. Maybe there's nothing that you need to confess this morning, and that's, and that's great. But maybe there is. And just to say that perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. There is no fear of coming before him. He is not going to reject you this morning. So don't miss this opportunity this morning of coming before the Father this morning. Come to him. Receive his love. Receive his grace. Receive his peace this morning. We're going to sing this song again. And just come up and take the bread and wine. If you've confessed, you're forgiven. Do you know that? If you've just done some business with God, you're forgiven. That's the wonderful thing. It's immediate, it's complete. And we might think, well, surely I have to do more than that. No, because the cost has been paid in full. I couldn't have paid the cost and neither could you, but one who loved you more than you'll ever know has paid that cost in full. So if you have had to do some business with God this morning, it's dealt with. And now you can come. So we're going to sing this song again and then when you just come up, take the bread and wine. And as you do so, you can thank him. You can thank him because you're clean. Do you know that? You're clean. Let's sing. And as we sing, let you come up and take the bread and the wine.